Street Photography Magazine podcast, episode number 70, Street Photography Insight with Jens Krauer. Hello and welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And like you, I'm learning how to become a better photographer in this very elusive art form that we call street photography. No matter how much I know or how much I think I've learned, there's always more. It's like crossing the ocean. Once you reach the horizon, what do you see? Another horizon. So each time I interview a street photographer for the magazine or for a podcast or just during a regular conversation, I always try to come away with at least one lesson or insight that I can apply to my own work. And I ask about things I struggle with, hoping that they're issues that you may face as well. After all, we are all on different paths up the same mountain. Recently, I had a conversation with Swiss street and documentary photographer Jens Krauer. I've been a fan of his work for quite some time, and thanks to an introduction from writer and photographer Gina Williams, I had an opportunity to meet him. Several years ago, Jens left a secure career in the corporate world to pursue his passion for street and documentary photography, something a lot of people dream of doing, but don't really do it. And to finance his personal projects, he takes on paid commercial photography work and video production gigs. On the street, Jens is a keen observer of not only light, but the key elements in an often chaotic scene. And then he zeroes in to work the scene whenever possible. And he is extremely mindful of the photos he chooses for public display by being a ruthless curator of his own work. Rather than publishing hundreds of images on his website and Instagram, he chooses only to show a handful of his best work, usually about 20 photos. Jens says he prefers to be known for five great images rather than being famous on Instagram. I found him to be very insightful, thoughtful, and willing to share his experience with others. And I'm sure you will too. Today, I'm very happy to have with me Jens Krauer. Several years ago, he left the corporate world to pursue his passion for street photography and video production. And last year, in 2019, he was a featured speaker at the Miami Street Photography Festival. Plus, he teaches workshops, very high-quality workshops, at least when we're not in a coronavirus lockdown. And he's an amazing street photographer in his own right. He's also an official Fujiox photographer. So Jens, thank you for being with us today. Hi Bob. Well, it's a, it's my pleasure to be here and uh, to be able on, to be on your podcast. Uh, also, big thanks to Gina, our common friend, who brought us together. So I'm I'm happy to talk to you today. It was really nice of her to do that. Gina's written several articles for her. She's an excellent writer. Lives out in Portland, Oregon, and uh, does a lot of interesting things out there. But uh, Jens, he's uh, he's a big-time street photographer, just photographer in general. He's located in Zurich, Switzerland. He's also an official Fuji X photographer. 
So we definitely have to talk about that. And um, so Jens, uh, tell us, before we get too far along, if you could just share with us how you got into street photography and, and photography full-time in general. Well, I've, uh, I never set out to be a, a photographer in the first place. So my first touching point with photography was in a project week in school when I was 14. Is As a matter of fact, also the only time I ever developed a film in my life. And then it would take me another 30 roughly years until I would get back uh, into photography. And the way this happened was I was uh, an expat uh, working for the European Football Association in Ukraine for a year in 2012. And towards the end of that time, I just uh, started taking snapshots with no photographic motivation behind it or at least no ambition at that point and as i got back people looked at the pictures they said well there's some nice stuff and i was like okay if there's some nice stuff let me figure out uh, what is nice about it and what is not and that's kind of where the whole journey started um i continued to work uh, corporate for another three years until 2015 and I started shooting besides working. So I was traveling a lot. I was uh, uh, spending a lot of times in other cities and in, in hotels and in strange, strange places. And while my friends usually at six in the evening went to a bar or to a restaurant, I just grabbed my camera and started shooting. And I did that for two or three years without really showing the pictures to anybody. And uh, in retrospect, it was a great time because there was no expectation. I was just experimenting. I had a, a whole lot of fun and kind of produced my first portfolio out of this. And even then, it was just street photography. And I, I, have, a, I have a close connection to the street from my personal life. I used to uh, put colors on walls <laughs> in places where you're not necessarily allowed to. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time out there. And for me, it was basically the backpack I had that maybe contained some uh, aerosol products uh, was replaced with a Billingham bag with a Fuji camera. And the approach was the same. It was walking the streets, uh, seeing things, figuring out things. I was always attracted to the less visible side of cities and the little bit hidden parts and the borders of society. So street photography allowed me then to just go out and explore. And 2015, I was generally unhappy with my corporate job decided to to quit it and uh, just went full in on on what was first street photography and now it is a uh, video street photography since last year a few documentary projects so it's it's growing in on in all directions so you were a graffiti artist a tagger huh that's no i have to i have to specify that taggers are people putting up names on walls and graffiti writers are the ones doing the pictures. Uh -huh. I mean, the, the full-blown pictures and we took pride in, in doing that. I remember, I know you were also on The Candid Frame and uh, one of my favorite episodes of The Candid Frame was when a Baryonyx interviewed his brother who was a graffiti artist in Paris. Oh, wow, I missed oh, that. Oh, you missed that. You're going to have to go back and listen to it. I, I never really gave graffiti much of a thought until I heard that episode. And it's very interesting. Well, actually, graffiti in, in, in regards to creative development has some very interesting aspects to it. Because in graffiti, you don't have time. You still want to do something beautiful in a place that you cannot control. 
and you already hear there's some similarities to to street photography and then if we continue those similarities is you have to do everything out of a out of instinct your whole movement your whole how the way you do this is an internalized movement it has to be your own style because only then you're able to execute with the speed and the precision that you're aiming for so there's a lot of parallels if you look at it hmm sort of like the old saying about uh, fred astaire and ginger rogers she did the she had to make the same moves as him except backwards and in heels where a graffiti artist often is hanging upside down from a bridge in very precarious situations, right? True. And there's a few aspects to that where you scout out things and get ready for stuff where, you know, when you're younger, you find that very adventurous. Interesting comparison between the two. I think drawing in general uh, has a lot of... If you look at it from a creative point of view, drawing and painting has a lot of parallels with uh, photography to me, to me personally. So do you have an, an artistic background? Well, kind of. I mean, not from not from my, my parents or anything, but um, I've, been, I've been doing this most of my life in some way, shape or form. I mean, I've never had, I've barely ever bored. I, my problem usually is that I don't have enough time to do all the things that I, I would love to do. So, yeah, I mean, creativity for me definitely is is something between a lifesaver and, and a way of life. Yeah, life is too short, isn't it? You can't, there's just so much out there to do. It's hard, it's hard to pick and choose and to do everything you want to do. It's crazy. I feel like uh, I'm not going to have enough time to do all the things that I would love to do. That's, that's... Uh, a little bit of a scary thought, but yeah. Yeah, it's scary. It's better than sitting around and twiddling your thumbs. True. And Fully agree with that. Yeah, I have a couple neighbors who are retired, and they don't know what to do with themselves. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy in this, this, this big world. Right now it's a little tough because we all have to stay at home, but that's temporary. Well, I think even, I mean... If you listen to this podcast two, three years in advance, hopefully we've been through this. But even now, at the times of COVID-19, being reduced to yourself at home show, tells you a lot about yourself and what you fill your life with. Yeah. So just speaking of the COVID-19 pandemic, so what are you doing with yourself right now? It depends on, on, on what level. I, I, I was forced to kind of re reshape certain parts of where my revenue comes from quite quickly mm -hmm. and quite drastically because I mean there's different kind of photographers out there I mainly do kind of artsy projects and try to push my documentary work so I'm already working on cross-finance projects and uh, the moment in Switzerland or also globally where the state of emergency was declared a lot of these things were cancelled in an extremely short amount of time so I sat here and thought, so what you do now? I mean, a lot of things are going to be delayed. They're probably going to happen later. And um, I'm, I'm reshaping my, my revenue streams, uh, preparing for doing some teaching online, etc. And at the same time, I'm going deeper into what I've photographed up to now. So I'm getting my next portfolio ready. I'm editing a lot, uh, a lot of pictures, a lot of video. I'm thinking about revamping my webpage. It's a little bit time to do the householding stuff, as well as finding new ways to exist in this already difficult business. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm 
personally fortunate. I've been working at home for years, and uh, I also do web development uh, in the training field, actually. Actually, that side of my business has gotten very busy because so many people are at home, and one of the things they want to do is update their website or create a new create a new online course. Yeah, for one of my best friends is a is a computer programmer, and I call him up and say, uh, "Man, I have to think about uh, what I do the next two three months." And he's like, uh, "I never had so little time and so much work." So, yeah, yeah. Although I'd rather be out photographing, but a little tough right now. So, your video production work. What kind of work do you do during normal times? Well, I, I, I it started with me doing. Uh, well, first of all, it started with the awareness of that the profile of a future photographer or visual working person mm -hmm. two, three years ago has to include the skill to be able to provide video. Mm -hmm. And then I started with um, with a promo movie for Fujifilm, actually, back then for the GFX uh, 110 millimeter medium format lens. Is that the one that's on your website? I think so. Yes, I think so. Yeah, and it's very good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and I always work also with, with people that greatly, uh, great cinematographers. Now, in the meantime, when I work alone, I, I shoot a lot of the stuff myself. So it started with this and um, then some some clients came in. I mean, I'm, I'm working for a larger sports association, doing internal videos for job documentation, stuff like that. It's a, it's a money job and it finances my other things that I like to do that are not directly generating any income. But um, yeah, I'm running around with the Fuji XH1. I'm, uh, I'm cutting, I'm doing the sound. I, I learned sound engineer. I think these days we're kind of being multimedia is not a bad thing. No, not at all. Speaking of Fuji, we have to talk about that a little bit. You are one of the Fuji X official photographers, right? Correct, and proudly so, I can say. So... What has that done for you to to be a, an official uh, Fuji X photographer? Um, I think the nature of the relationship is uh, uh, actually a synergy. So what it's done for me is if I have something uh, uh, in regards to work, uh, I can talk to Fuji and see if it maybe fits into what they want to communicate. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a synergy support thing. Um but it's not that Fuji takes you and says, we give you a platform. So you have to bring something in order to get something. And these kinds, these things kind of balance themselves out. What Fuji does for us is they, they support us. They sometimes communicate for us. We have a direct line, a good communication to the manufacturer of our main tools. And um, I guess most of us as ex-photographers use 100% of those cameras. So, I mean, if you think about it, for a photographer to be in direct touch with the, with the company that manufactures your tool in itself is just a great environment and opportunity. So it's a lot of levels to this, but um, there's nothing. I mean, you don't become an ex-photographer and then people know you. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, you have to make your own efforts and then things can be beautiful. So I understand that uh, they actually listen to you guys. Is that true? Yes, I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, it's just uh, two days ago, I got a, uh, an email in my inbox coming from Japan 
asking, there was a questionnaire asking how we feel about this, how we feel about that. And this goes out to a number of ex-photographers. And uh, sometimes they even organize sessions where we are able to feedback to, to certain camera models. So, yeah, I think what makes Fuji outstanding to a, to a large degree is that they truly do take in feedback. They actively seek it out to incorporate it into their future products and designs. Yeah, that's not true with all manufacturers of anything. I mean, not I, just cameras. But I'm, I'm yeah. always impressed with how they do uh, firmware updates for many years after a camera's yes. been replaced. I think that's such a great approach to say if we if we can give you something that is technically and by uh, computing power doable with your existing camera, we're willing to give it to you instead of selling you a new one. I think it says a lot about the philosophy of the company. They want you to work with those cameras rather than to buy a new one every every six months. And I think to me, it's quite a quite a nice approach. I mean, I have three, and none of them are the latest. I still have an XT one. Um, me too. Do you use it much? Uh, no, but I give it to friends if they want to want to photograph. And I can tell you, my old XT two. I don't believe in keeping material if you don't do anything with it. I have the XT one for sentimental reasons, and the XT two I gave away to. To a photographer I know well in, or which I'm, which was also part of the same collective I am in in Romania, uh, we're doing Bulb, which is um, the, the uh, a collective that uh, wants to document life in Eastern Europe. And as I told you, I used to live in Ukraine, so this there's a different income level. And my old XT2 made its way to a very talented photographer in Romania. So I'm giving things away once I don't have use for them anymore. That's very nice. But um, I have a. An old X-Pro1 that is still here, which was my very first Fuji mm -hmm. that I bought from a former French photojournalist. Um, and I have my X-T1. I currently use the X-T3 and the X-H1 for the video work and occasionally uh, a GFX. That's pretty hefty. I saw the video you made using the GFX on the street. Yep. Do you still use the X-Pro1? That has such a unique look to it. Um, I don't. I agree about the unique look, but it's just uh, it's it's also a beautiful thing to put on your shelf. <laughs> Would look nice on the shelf. It does. Can I ask you what your what's your favorite lenses and then what what Fuji camera you currently use? Primarily use I have the X100F, and uh, I have the uh, the wide adapter for that. And matter of fact, when I went to New Zealand, I left the wide adapter on. It was on almost every day, and I don't typically do that. But I also have the the X Pro Two, and on the street, I like to use the uh, the eighteen millimeter. But I also have the um, sixteen to fifty five, which I like a lot. It's it's big for carrying around, but when I do any type of uh, reportage work then then i'll use that because you know I, I like to have the range typically i prefer to use uh use primes i have the 3514 which i, mm -hmm. I really like i think i like it for portraits mm -hmm. and what else do i have i've got the pancake i don't use that much and oh i just bought a, a long lens which i haven't had since i sold all my canon gear i've got the uh have the was it the fifty five to two hundred? Oh wow! Okay. So that's 
pretty much what I have. I barely use it, but I figure I need need to have a long lens just in case. But yeah, so I'm a regular user, and and that's what I have. I forgot to mention the the Pro Three, by the way, which I think is a, a, a an amazing camera. That's what I hear. I'm afraid to look at it. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> I mean. Now with the T4 out, it, it also comes down to do I want to have a flipping out uh, swivel screen or not, or do I not? And I rather prefer the, the Pro 3 currently. So it's a good chance after three models of, of the XT series, I might go for the Pro 3. I had it. Uh, I shot with it in, in, in New York last year on my documentary work, uh, which I did partially with Fuji US. Um, I shot the Pro 3, but I had to give it back. And I haven't yet purchased it, but it's on top of my list. Just the podcast episode before this one, I spoke with Matt Jerems in London. Mm -hmm. He's also a video producer, mm -hmm. and he has the X-Pro3. That's his favorite. It's, I mean, if we think, if we talk about, it, that's why I say it depends on what you photograph. But if we talk about street documentary, social documentary stuff, being a, a camera, being small and, and not using a lot of space still matters. And I currently feel that uh, the Pro 3 might be just the right way to go. Yeah, it's it's a nice size. Um, you know, the Pro line is, is a nice size. It's not a whole lot bigger than the X100, uh, especially with the, with the 18 on it. No, really not. And um, it's also, it doesn't scream, I'm a modern camera. And I think that's psychologically in, in that line of work, that kind of matters too. Okay, so you said you were in New York for like three months. So you were, you're in New York and Miami, I take it. Yeah, but that those were separate. I actually, I maxed out my visa time last year, staying exactly 90 days. I left on the 90th day, 30 minutes before I would have been illegally in America. So I, I spent uh, three months in uh, New York last fall uh, on one side to work on my uh, street portfolio um, and on the other hand to really work on an in-depth uh, documentary project in, uh, in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn on uh, certain social groups that uh, have been running a lot of things around there for a while. So did you have this documentary project in mind before you went or did you discover the subject while you were there i had this in mind for a long time i mean the question to me always was that i love street photography and what a lot of people criticize maybe about street photography which is that you shoot single images and you combine um, a rather random group of images to a portfolio is something i actually love because it allows me to draw a lot of things together but then the need arises to tell a story on one hand and on the other side to also maybe give your photography a purpose beyond mm. doing nice images. Mm -hmm. And this is where it started growing on me maybe a year and a half ago that I have to, with all my life experience I have and the character I am, that I have to go into certain places and start telling stories based on the same photographic skills that I developed on the street. So yeah, I went back to New York last year with uh, with this goal in mind, and I moved into the neighborhood. I lived uh, two buildings away from where I spent most of the time photographing my subjects and really was diving into that. It was my goal to uh, 
during the day mostly go to Manhattan and produce uh, street photography and as uh, the sun went down go back to Brooklyn and and try to tell more about the life on on the street corners of Brooklyn so what are you going to do with this project I'm going to work on it. I mean, parts of it was uh, a very small part of it. I think only 10, 10 pictures were published by uh, Fuji US uh, in the promotion for the Pro 3. And uh, actually, my plan was now, speaking of uh, things that have been changed by Corona, my plan was now from summer to uh, early next year to go back and spend at least double the time mm-hmm. there to, to continue the work. So. This thing is not done in in a few weeks or in a month. Um, I feel I have to go back, get more personal, more intimate, more close with things. So this maybe take me another year or two to finish. Yeah, you're very fortunate to be able to do that. I mean, so many people I hear all the time saying, I would just love to be able to, to take off for three months and go to wherever and just photograph. And um, most people can't. So you're you're fortunate you've been able to put yourself in a position where you can do that. I think I am, but I also feel in case somebody out there feels that that's an easy way, uh, it's not. I feel I feel obliged to tell you that, you know, I made some life choices to be able to do that. Um, and especially in times like now, I mean, you're giving away a lot of security, you're giving away a lot of uh, anchors and, and things that people hold on to. If you're the kind of person that is ready to do that, you can dive into something like this. But I have to work to work, uh, if you know what I mm-hmm. mean. Like I'm trying to create revenue streams to to finance my my documentary project. So I think if 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 you want to do things like this, you you have to, unless you're based on your background, on your environment, don't have those uh, financial financial considerations. You will have to 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 finance those things yourself. I mean, it's also a point that in general in photography, that kind of photography that used to be done 30 years ago, where people had the time and the energy mm. to go into subjects like this, that doesn't that is not going to be financed from outside anymore. So you put in the money, you put in the work, and once you're finished, you'll see if something gives. But it's a, a lot of personal investment and putting up ahead. So. Yes, I'm happy, I'm fortunate, but it, it comes with a little bit of a construct attached. Sure, and everything's a trade-off. That's it, yeah. I know it's tough, particularly in this country, because uh, our health care system is, you basically have to have a job to have health care. True. And uh, in many, many other civilized countries, you don't. Yeah, I mean, specifically for America, it's uh, I guess it's uh, very difficult to let go of, of securities. Yeah, it really is. Unless you get old. <laughs> if you get old, you can have health care. Still, you still pay for it, though. Um, so you're going to come back. That's good. Yeah, don't come back right now. But when you do, I encourage you to go visit some other parts of the country. I'd love to. By the way, if I can quickly say, just to finish the story, when I ca- when I came back from New York a week later, because I, I would have loved to stay in New York and then go directly to Miami, to the, the Miami Street Photography Festival, where I was uh, speaking last December. But uh, since my visa was over, I had to fly back to Switzerland, stay here for two days, and then fly back over to Miami wow. to, uh, to go to the festival. Really? And you have to go back to your home country? Well, I actually checked. 
And when I called the U.S. Border Patrol, they were not very amused about my question. Uh, I called them and I asked, look, uh, like, do I really have to fly back to Europe for two days? They said, well, unfortunately, that's the rules. So I started asking, saying, so where do I have to go that is close in order to be able to not fly that far? And they said it cannot be a country bordering the U.S. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there's not much option to the north. There's not much to go. I mean, Canada is out of the picture. And to the south, everything below Mexico was price-wise the same as flying back to Europe. So, yeah, I decided to fly home and back. Yeah, it's not that far from New York. But, uh, yeah, good thing you followed the rules. Otherwise, you'd wind up in a cage on the Mexican border. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? We'll never hear from you again. If well, if I could keep my camera, that might be interesting. <laughs> but then I would like to be able to come back. Well, we're, we're glad that didn't happen. But there is a whole lot of cities on my radar. Um, I love to go to, to to San Francisco. I've never been to LA, um, so there's a whole lot more in the states, and I'm I'm very aware of that. And there's a lot in between. Yes, I also fully agree. Yeah, come on down to Washington D.C. I'll meet you. I'll meet Man. you there. Show you around. We just talked about it, and then we should all go have a coffee with uh, with uh, with Mr. Suspect around there. And he knows the area a lot better than I do. He definitely does. I want to get off on a sort of a technical uh, technical subject for a second. I just have to ask you about black and white. You do such beautiful black sure. and white work. I don't know if you're willing to share any of your secrets, but I just, I can't even put my finger on it. The, the blacks are just so rich. I'm looking at one of your photos now, a photo of a woman mm -hmm. in front of a jewelry store with a dog mm -hmm. behind her. Mm -hmm. I know which one. And I I have two monitors. I'm looking at it on my crummy monitor, and it's just, it's beautiful. Thank you. Can you share with us how you process your black and white? Are you are you shooting natively in black and white? It doesn't look like like Acros. How do you how do you pronounce it? Acros, Acros, Acros. Uh, I think Acros. I've heard too many people pronounce it so differently, but I think it's a multi-layered process. It already starts when you shoot, and all these things kind of accumulate up. So if you don't, if you only shoot things in interesting light then a lot of the part is already done. Then if you approach light with the mind of somebody who might paint, you are recognizing very cinematic light that works well. Then you shoot mirrorless, which means if you shoot mirrorless and you use spot metering, you can even emphasize that light in the moment. These are all techniques that you have to apply in, in the mm -hmm, process mm -hmm. of, of taking the street photograph. So once you go back, you already have good light, you have good contrast and all these things. And then what? one of the first things I ever did in, in when I started discovering Lightroom, I use Lightroom. Um, I open Photoshop by accident and usually close it as quick as possible again, so I don't even know how to handle it. And then in, in Lightroom, one of the first things I did, or one of my first challenges in those two, three years that we talked about before, before I even showed anybody my pictures, was to figure out how I can get a consistent look out of those pictures. If I put 20 aside, will they look like they come from the same place? And that's something I, I spent a lot of time with. And then again, if you take a little bit of a painter's approach and you work with, with light, with, uh, 
black points, white points, contrast. I mean, you never change the content of the image, but you can emphasize light structure in the same way you could do it in a in a in a dark room back in the days. I think all these things to me are legit, uh, as long as we don't talk about documentary. Um, yeah, and then you kind of stack these things on top of each other, and each step adds to to what you've been describing before and. In the very end, I, I use a, a 90% Lightroom, sometimes maybe a little bit of uh, silver effects to, to, to help with the consistent look. Um, I don't use any presets. I have a silver effects preset that I use to, to, to kind of uh, iron out the last small differences. But otherwise, it's just I know where I want to go mm -hmm. with the image. And by having learned how it's supposed to look, I just walk towards that point at every step of of uh, making the picture so it's nothing quick and easy there's no of course there's no magic wand for no. anything right no no it isn't and and that's in general never going to happen either if you look for images paint images if you want to change the world or invent something i think there's very rarely an easy way to get no. there no no magic bullet I don't know who said it. Well, wasn't there somebody saying there's no Avedon button on the camera? <laughs> I can't recall who said that. Yeah, I haven't found that yet. <laughs> well, you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I like that. On the street, sometimes I draw analogies to golf. You're a golfer? Nope. No, but I wanted to at some point <laughs> in my life, but go ahead. Well, in golf, they have, uh, you know, when you're when you're trying to improve your game, they have what they call swing thoughts. You know, what do you think about? You can only think about, like, one thing. So they call it swing thoughts. And, and I always wonder what, you know, accomplished photographers like yourself think about or not think about on the street. I mean, how do you see what you see? Maybe you don't even know. Um, I struggle with it myself constantly. The more I look for things, the less I see. And obviously, you're able to see some uh, very interesting things out there. Do you, do you even know how you make that happen? I'll try to understand it in order to be able to repeat it more precisely. But, <coughs> excuse me, thinking about it, I mean... It's a very weird state of mind. So when I go out to shoot street, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself mentally in a, in a very specific place. And it's difficult to describe. Mm -hmm. I, I, if I try to describe it, it's you eliminate everything um, regular or non-interesting. And the way I put that is you just eliminate the whole middle ground. So you either see large dynamics of crowds or things happening that go across multiple people, a certain mood, a certain movement, whatever it is that might be an entry point for an image, um, or you look into the smallest of details. So it's either micro or very universal, but eliminate everything in the middle, and then the things that connect between the smallest and the biggest are the interesting things. That's the best way I can describe it. I don't know if I made myself clear, but it's everything that is just regular, or, or, or doesn't tell a story, you kind of try to blend it out in order to see the smallest and the biggest things. And that's where you kind of start for me. And I have very tunnel vision. And I can see, sometimes I see things uh, maybe 100 meters away, and I, I go straight towards it. So it's, it's very concentration, intense 
constant analytics of what's going on around you and where potential entry points for good images are. It's also there are no good images per se. I think there are always entry points for images. Mm. And then you have to work your way to the real image once you recognize the potential. So it's not like one and gone. No, I mean, rarely. I mean, there's people who shoot like this and also just talking for myself, to be clear. Um, people, there's people who can just turn around and snap it. I have a, an, a really good friend and an amazing photographer uh, uh, in New York, uh, Clay Benskin. And uh, he shoots very from the hip, very quick, very in the moment. I just work differently. Yeah, well, every, everybody's different. That's what That's makes it. the world interesting. And, and it's what makes street photography interesting. Oh, definitely. Well, Jens, I have to ask you about something as a web developer myself. People always ask me my opinion on creating their photography site, and I always say, keep it simple, keep it short. Only put on your good stuff. You are like the poster child of only putting a few things on your website. And when I see a website like yours, you've only got a handful of great images. And when I look at them, and I look at lots of people's websites, I think, what else has he got? You know, this is great. What else has he got? Which I think is a great thought to put in the viewer's mind when they're visiting your site, if that makes sense. But So why do you do it this way? And how do you curate your own work? Because you must have a lot of great photographs. How do you force yourself to keep things out? Most photography websites have hundreds of photos that nobody looks at all of them. What do you think? Well, I mean, it would be it would be a little bit of a bluff to say that I I, I, I um, this just happened because I think it's a part of how my personality works and the part of what I learned about in general about presenting your work. And I think you said something very true, which is you should or you should always aim for leaving people wanting more. And uh, a lot of how, how to say a lot of people trying to promote themselves on on social media and other channels, I think are very much overselling and too much making a lot of noise, mm -hmm. you know. And and I just truly believe, and I see this also in photographers that I admire if I go to their web pages, they usually just have very little but good work on it. And that leaves me, as you said, wanting more. Now, I'm very unfriendly with myself <clears throat> in the editing process. I'm very critical of myself in the shooting process. It's... Uh, it's nothing so beautiful, but it, as, as how you, you know, because you're not doing necessarily 100% nice to yourself, but creativity is also going through the down phases and, and accepting that not everything you do is, is good and great and amazing. And uh, I confront myself with this regularly um, in, in unfiltered ways. Um, I want to hear what is bad about my work, and I think that's... Uh, an attitude that is probably to me the right one <clears throat> excuse me because if you want to hear the good about your work you're missing out on the chance of figuring out what you should develop and uh, a portfolio is only as good as the the weakest picture and so you want to eliminate all those weak pictures i'd rather have 19 pictures in my portfolio than playing off the hope that somebody will like maybe my 20th picture so i want to eliminate that the truth in is it good or not should be there f 
for me from the beginning, excluding that tastes might be different on different sides. But if you're into street photography, I think there should be only, only good work. And the way I achieve this or I'm trying to achieve this is, as I said, first of all, by being ruthless with myself. And second, by, uh, by going and seeking advice of people that are way better than me and that are very direct and, and, and also merciless in, in their feedback. And I have uh, two or three people that I work with professionally um, to help me figure out the good ones and sequence and edit them. And I have two or three people in my private life who help me out with this. Uh, in private, I call them three not-so-friendly friends, which uh, can't be your spouse or your kids or just nobody that wants to do just period good for you. It needs to be somebody with a critical eye. And then you need to understand where they're coming from. So I have a, one friend that is um, more of a storyteller. If he sees a story, that's for me a plus point for the picture. I have another friend, um, which is a mathematician and also heavy on the Asperger side, which I know if the logic uh, works from that side, that picture works on that level. And I have another friend who is more on the graphic side and like silent pictures and you know single lines and stuff. And if I combine the feedback from those three people together, I can assemble a group of maybe 30, 40 pictures. And those I bring to the professionals, the, the picture editors, those who know what they're, they're doing uh, on, a, on a commercial level. And I have them then, you know, cut out everything that doesn't work. And it leaves me with a small selection of images that I can say I think they work. And... I'm just about to publish a new street portfolio, maybe within the next month or so that I've been working on the last two years. And I decided that I always make portfolios. So I put in a stretch of work. I put in the, the selection work, the editing work, the kill my babies approach. And uh, now two years have gone and I'll be ready with another 20, 25 pictures. And the other thing you, you mentioned is, yes, I have hundreds of pictures that I mean, I could I could publish a lot of pictures, but I'm trying to aim for a certain I don't know a certain uh, level maybe for myself, and so I I do it this way. I think it's more interesting to hear, like it's like a good movie. Like you see the first part, the first part of a good movie, you don't want to see the next one in two days. You're happy if it comes in two mm -hmm. years. It just needs to be good and complement the story before. And that's how I go about these kind of things. Yeah, and I see you take the same approach on Instagram. Yes. Although I think I'm too, I mean, also, um, I have a ambivalent relationship with social media. Mm, me too. Uh, I'll, I like the post. Um, a lot of times I get a lot of love, a lot of comments, and I, I highly appreciate that. And it pushes me psychologically. As it pushes me psychologically forward, it also scares me that it can draw me down psychologically. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm also there very, making very calculated moves, not because I'm in general a very calculated person, because I really am not. But um, yeah, I think this is all communication. And especially in social media, um, same thing. I'd rather see a good picture of somebody every month than five a day. Because five a day will just make me turn it off. And so I try to follow that approach there as well. My last Instagram picture is probably in the meantime over three or four months old. I posted a video two months ago, but I should do that more. So you see, I'm, I should push myself to be more 
communicative on that level. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think good things take time and good to assemble good work in photography, you have to be a genius to do it in a half a year. And to put things in perspective, if you think about your, your most favorite photographer, let's say your three top favorite photographers, and uh, for, the, for the sake of the example, let's take uh, Cartier-Bresson. Mm-hmm. So we know the man is one of the biggest street photographers, if we want to call him that, even if he himself hated the term and never even acknowledged the, the genre street photography, that's where the closeness to documentary, etc., comes comes out of it. But if we take him, uh, if I ask you to recall five, the five most famous pictures of Cartier-Bresson, I think you can maybe name three and then you start thinking. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to put this in perspective, even by by taking one of the biggest photographers ever in our genre, <laughs> we can barely recall five pictures. So my goal is to be remembered for five pictures and not for being famous on Instagram. That's very well said. So tell me, what else are you working on right now? Anything you can talk about? What's next for you? Next for me is uh, as soon as people can travel again and I can act responsibly, I want to go back to uh, New York to see my friends continue my documentary project and shoot more street. Generally feel very connected to that city and that environment. Then I am uh, currently building up uh, some online teaching things, uh, rebuild my, my, my multimedia studio at home and looking forward to produce some stuff. As soon as we can travel again, we'll pick up again the workshops, the travel workshops, the the day workshops, and everything else. Currently, is a is a is a bit fluid. Mm-hmm. So, photography was difficult before, and we will see how we how we come out of this and what new business opportunities will come up. But I have no conclusive answer at that point. But from my side, more pictures, more teaching. Um, video work uh, which I'm not publishing on my homepage only by the clients homepages and yeah we'll see where the journey goes but I'm I'm determined determined to go to go ahead oh, wonderful well Jens tell us where people can find you so you can find me on my homepage which is uh, probably going to be written somewhere uh, where you published the podcast because if i say it you might not understand it it's my full name it's www.jenskrauer.com which is j-e-n-s-k-r-a-u-e-r.com and from there you'll get to my instagram my facebook uh yeah that's that's kind of the hop to find things i do jens well thank you very much for taking the time out of your evening and uh i look forward to speaking with you again soon me too. And let me also mention, Bob, uh, my big thanks to, to, to your publication and your work, because as we talked about it uh, off air before we started, I think uh, your magazine was one of the first places that uh, published and uh, embraced my photography. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And that's something we love to do. There are so many great photographers out there. And we want to be a platform for, for the world to see their work. Yeah, and those platforms are important. So, uh, yeah, you have my full support. 